Welcome to the Maris Review. I'm Maris Kreisman. I am so thrilled to be joined today by Tori Peters. She's the author of the novellas Infect Your Friends and Loved Ones and The Masker, which are available for free on her website. She holds an MFA from the University of Iowa and an MA in comp literature from Dartmouth. She grew up in Chicago and now lives in Brooklyn. And her debut <laughs> novel is called Detransition Baby. Welcome, Tori. Hi, I'm really happy to be here. Delighted to have you. So first, tell me about the title of this book, because I think anyone who starts to read it understands that there are at least two meanings. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it's obviously like a sort of a pun in the, you know, anytime you have comma baby, it's like, you know, you've come a long way, baby, or Austin mm -hmm. baby. So it becomes like this, you know, kind of provocative imperative detransition baby. Um, which is sort of a joke, you know, like to yes. say something like that is, is, is a joke. But then it's actually also an extremely like abbreviated description of the plot. There's one character who detransitions, there's another character who wants a baby. Um, so it actually describes the book uh, in, in, the, in the joke title. You've, you've beaten Hemingway. <laughs> <laughs> Two words, how do you like that, Hemingway? Two words. I, I think I tried, I forget where I tried to post something about your book and I wasn't allowed to. It might've been on Shopify because the word detransition so often comes from a place of hatred. And yeah. tell me about using that word. If you think about, there's sort of two responses to that. If you think about the title itself, like the comma is actually sort of the split where, you know, when I was in, when I started writing it, um, I was in a place in my life that was, things were pretty difficult and it was like the actual existence as a trans woman was like sort of like a nice edge, like the commas, like the nice edge where on one side, if I could just, you know, if I could have a baby, um, you know, that, I think that would have made me feel like, okay, my womanhood is legitimate, mm. you know, where, and then on the other side, if I could just detransition and, you know, feel comfortable with the way that the you know, world wanted to see me, yeah. that would also be okay. So there was, there was sort of like describing these options of what it sometimes feels like to live as a trans woman. But then on top of it, you know, because detransition, I mean, in order to detransition, you have to first transition. Yes. Which means that I'm not exactly sure how it ended up as like the, the talking points for a bunch of anti-trans people because like, it's actually not an option for them. You have to transition first. So for me, like transition, detransition, having transitioned was for a while, like sort of like a looming possibility. And therefore it felt like it was a looming possibility for me. I own it. I should be able to talk about it and talk about it honestly from a place of like, you know, this is, this is something that I think does exist for trans women as, as a kind of, you know, worst worst moment kind of possibility and instead of trans women being able to talk about this and write about it and make art about it and talk about regret and like all of the things that like you know that that make good art make good writing instead of us being able to talk about it um it had gotten turned into this this transformative topic talking point so for me i just felt i feel free to talk about it and i i took it back and i wrote about it and uh and I'm pretty comfortable having done that. 
I, I mean, I think you do a really lovely job of introducing us to Ames and um, throughout the book, giving his, his background and showing us um, how complicated these things are that like, <laughs> I have friends who've transitioned and they feel pressure so often to say like, yes, this was 100% the right decision for me and I'm, I have no conflicts at all. Yeah, no, you're supposed to say this stuff, but actually it's like most other people aren't expected to be 100% sure about every choice in their life. Yeah. And for me, I want to claim that same, like, you know, potential ambivalence, the possibility for regret. I want to claim that for trans women, you know, and, yeah. and also say that lots of times, even if there is no regret, if there is no, no feeling bad, that a lot of times life is a compromise, you know, like sometimes uh, people detransition uh, because it's just too hard to live as a trans woman, just like other times people go for something and it turns out it's too hard, not because they didn't want it, not because it wasn't right for them, but it just it didn't work out. And so that's, you know, those same possibilities are things that, that you know, amongst the conversations that, that trans people and especially like my friends, trans women that we have with each other, we all know this stuff. And so it seemed like this, it seemed like I shouldn't sort of like hobble myself as a writer by basically being like, here's all the conversations I actually talk with my friends about. Right. Now that you write about 15% of that, <laughs> right. you know, acceptable or, 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 you know, fits some mantra. So um, for, for artistic reasons too, it was like, I, I might as well write about this. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. If there's something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals, say like a coup going on in your country or um, the realization that all of our systems are corrupt and <laughs> broken, um, BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. And there is a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. Areas. You can log on to your account at any time and send a message to your counselor and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule a weekly video or phone session so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's also more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily. Visit betterhelp.com, that's betterhelp, and join the over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for the Maris Review listeners, get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Maris, M-A-R-I-S. So we should say that Reese and Ames used to be together um, when he had transitioned. And um, do you want to just like give me the, instead of the two word plot, how about like the two sentence plot? 
Okay, so my elevator pitch for this book is sort of like, uh, it goes like this, my elevator pitch. <laughs> Detransition Babies, the story of, and you can think of her as sort of like Fleabag, only trans and living in Brooklyn, who's feeling stuck. She's sleeping with married men when her ex, who also used to be a trans woman named Amy, but detransitioned to live as a man named Ames, approaches her with this wild proposition would she consider raising a baby together with him and his pregnant boss slash lover? Uh, so, I, so tell me about, there, there's almost something, I don't know if this is fair, farcical to say about that kind of plot. I think farcical is like, I mean, it's, it's like the, the heavy lifting is sort of like in the first chapter when I kind of like introduce this where, and where there's a kind of question like why would any of the three of them agree to this why would they want to do this and the book is sort of like here's actually where they are where each of them in their own ways are so desperate that this actually looks like a good idea and that when you get rid of a bunch of different preconceptions about what motherhood should look mm -hmm. like what womanhood should look like what family should look like the the then it starts seeming possible. And hopefully by, you know, as soon as, as soon as you're really into the meat of the book, you're just going with it. Absolutely. And, and so I like how towards the beginning, Reese explains the sex in the city dilemma. Yeah. Just tell me about it. Just, okay. just, yeah. <laughs> I mean, again, the sex and city dilemma came from like my, my own life where I was like, you know, I turned, I don't know, maybe I was 34 or 35, and I started looking at the, the women in my life, especially a lot of the cis women that I was friends with. And, you know, all of us were kind of like looking for meaning, you know, we weren't exactly like going out and partying anymore. It was like, what are we gonna do with the rest of our life? And it looked to me like there were like four major ways that the women I knew were finding meaning. They were being a Carrie and like finding meaning through like art and expression. They were being a Samantha, they had a career. They were being a Charlotte, they got married, or they were being a Miranda and having a baby. And these, and so I was like, these are the four options. But for me as a trans woman, it was like, I aspired to those options, but right. the options weren't quite there. And so I think the sex in the city pro problem is a problem for cis women too, sort of like why, it's like every generation has some version of these potential. Can we have it all? Blah, yeah. blah. Or, you know, which one of these characters do you have to be like? It's, it's you know, so many different versions of this. Um, and then sort of for trans women, I'm in this generation where we're like, you know, it used to be that stuff was completely implausible for trans mm -hmm. women. And it was like, you're, you're surviving, maybe you're going stealth, you're dealing with all these other problems. And I'm sort of the first generation where it's like, these are possible for us, but like just slightly off, just slightly different. You're like, it's like you can, you it's just barely out of the, out of um, reach. So I was kind of playing with that in, well, if we can't do it exactly the same as cis women, we have the same problems and the same desires and everything, but the situation is just maybe not quite the same. I was like, let me introduce the same problem for, for, for trans women. And as a result, I think it actually speaks to the situation of cis women. It's not you know, unique to, to trans women. And when, you, when Reese is describing the sex in the city problem, 
she she also mentions the that how it's radical right now finally to kind of want the traditional right. shit all that stupid old shit as, as Liz Fair would say <laughs> yeah I mean um I think it's 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 interesting for me with this book because some people are like, this book is way out there. It's like, you know, so edgy or like the stuff that it's doing is, is it's got a lot of these moments with like shame and sex and stuff that are like out there. But then there are other people who are like, this book is assimilationist. You know, this book is, 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 um, you know, the first book that is, is doing, isn't, you know, writing from this place of extremely radical, like we need to tear down the whole system. And I think the the thing is for me is that I, I like to think it's radical. I think I like to think it's asking like when you actually, what happens to something like the nuclear family when you introduce a trans woman into it? Like in what ways does this, if we actually, you know, give trans women full rights, in what ways does, do, do institutions have to slightly shift? Um, and I think that that's actually, you know, a hard question still, but also, it doesn't mean that like once you become trans, you're like, well, I don't care about family. I don't care about like, you know, stability. It's like these things are actually, you know, trans people want this stuff too. And, um, and again, when I was in my 30s, it, well, I still am in my 30s, but you know, that part of my 30s, I was like, uh, I was really, I was really hungry for it. And I was really, I want, you know, it just came out of the desires that I actually had that it was like, these are, I don't know what it's going to look like in my own life, but I know that I want to have people that I love, that I care about in, and I want to care about them in like, you know, expanded queer family ways, but I also want to care about them in like household kind of ways. Household ways and, and aspiring to motherhood is complicated by so many different things. But one you mentioned, um, I think Reese says it's something like there is no one who's ever mothered before who's escaped criticism. Right. Right. And and you know, I think that's you can watch all of you know um, Everyone that I know who has a baby is like feels feels that they're doing it wrong, that they're messing up their kids, that you know that they're being criticized for it, and you're criticized whether you do have kids, whether you don't have kids, whether you bring a feminist framework, whether you don't, you know, um, and um, and there's like a particular way that I think trans women get criticized or get seen as outside of motherhood, but. The more I talked about this stuff, like with other people, the more I was like, oh, there's huge overlaps. Like this is, this is just one particular valence of it, but that um, most of the things that I talked about in the book that, that in some ways people talk about as like being specifically trans, when you talk, when you get rid of a lot of the language, the actual emotions underneath it are really similar. Like I wrote a bit about dissociation and I remember I was writing it and you know, it was a conversation I mostly had with other trans women about like when you don't feel good in your body and you're having sex and you just sort of like, you know, don't want to be in your body because it's like, a, it's not necessarily like, there's nothing 
terrible happening. We were just like, this isn't right. You know, it's like not right. And I remember I was writing those scenes and then I read Cat Person, that like story that went viral on, uh, on you know, New Yorker and stuff. And I remember reading that uh, and just being like, this feels exactly like what all of the trans women describe. Mm-hmm. And realizing like, oh, these things that are, these, these boundaries that we draw, draw about around things like dissociation or bodies or stuff like that, actually, when you start dealing with fiction and literature and what it actually feels like to be in a body, there, there's so much overlap. And the conversations actually have so much to do with each other. And like, I actually feel like it'd be really cool for a lot of, you know, for me as a trans woman, I, I was reading books by divorced women to sort of be like, oh, this is what it feels like to start over, you know? And, and realizing um, you know, that I felt like I had so much that I wanted to write and share and that my role, mo- my role models were oftentimes, I found them in unexpected places, like, you know, books by divorces. <laughs> yeah. Um, t- I mean, I think that was one of the things that hit me most profoundly in the book is as someone who knows a lot of trans people but hasn't had deep conversations about it, um, the idea that that Ames brings up of juvenile elephants and how there is an entire generation of trans women who have no role models. And I, I had never thought of it that way before. Again, another metaphor I would like for you to explain <laughs> to, to our listeners. This one's a little longer and like a little more abstract, but basically the, the metaphor is that there were in a bunch of the game parks in, in Africa, there were elephants are like a very matriarchal species. They raise each other and poachers were killing all of the mother elephants and they would like same as sort of like with fish they would kill a mother elephant and then to sort of they chain the baby to the body and then the baby would be traumatized um, and also would have nobody to teach teach the baby what to do with like 15,000 pounds of strength you know that's and so they had these problems with these sort of like um just completely traumatized elephants creating all sorts of violence who, who just didn't know how to handle themselves. So I, the metaphor has been used, I think in, I think there was, it was in a nature journal that they talked about this and other people have talked about this with like child soldiers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But when I heard about it, I mostly thought about the trans women of my generation where the, you know, kind of elders, a lot of them, trans women who would have showed us like here's how to take care of yourself here's how to like deal with your you know your problems here's where to get your hormones here's here's how to conduct yourself so you don't in in, like community so you don't ostracize each other those women who would have taught us that you know they went uh they had suicide there was hiv there was, you know, so much pressure to go quote unquote stealth, which means like to never let anybody know that you're trans. Um, you know, there was all sorts of substance abuse, you know, just to make it. And so there was kind of the generation that came up after them where 
especially with the internet where they that's how they learned and on the internet well everyone knows how the internet is it's there's not a lot of people being like whoa let's have like uh, some impulse control here <laughs> <laughs> they're like so so you have this sort of really you had a lot of people who were really traumatized and didn't know how to how to act and so the metaphor was of juvenile elephants and aims was of the generation that sort of grew up amongst the juvenile elephants where, you know, he, he, or at the time she, Amy, really wished that she'd had role models. And, and in some ways she found sort of mother figures in, in Reese um, and the, the ways that like uh, trans women have ended up kind of becoming mother figures to each other because of this. And I, I should say just, to be really clear about it, that metaphor I'm, I'm pretty clear to apply to a certain sort of like white trans women. I think in like trans women of color and like ballroom culture and that sort of stuff, there's always been mother figuring, mother figures, but there was sort of a generation of, of, of white trans women who didn't have that sort of community history who especially didn't know. So just, just a point of clarification. And, and you make it in the book as well um, that, that, that there is a difference between white trans women and, yeah. and brown trans women. That's so important. And also going back to Ames, we, we see him searching Google, going to his first, finding someone on the internet to take him to a store yeah. for trans women. That's who he finds to teach him how? Yeah, I mean, I, and it's, it's, it's actually how I remember learning, you know, it wasn't with, it wasn't with people who necessarily had my best interests in mind. It was like a sort of, these stores were pretty, I guess you could say tawdry, you know, like there was a lot of um, crossover between sort of like fetish world and just like right. you know, all sorts of reasons why people wanted to wear women's clothes. And, you know, that's a legitimate way to find one's way into the gender, you know, but it was never something where it was like, this is, this is something that you can go and find somebody. It's like, you find, you found somebody on the internet who would take you. And the reasons that they were there were maybe not to like help a young person <laughs> who they were, you know? Um, and so, so, but the, you know, it's really, it's really interesting because I, in some ways, in just a matter, in the time that I, that I, between when I started writing that book in like 2015, for this book in 2015, and like now, the generation that's like come of age, like those stories, I think they think of them as like the stories that I heard about in like the 90s during like HIV and stuff. It's like, oh, that's how it was for the previous generation. And like, things are changing so fast. Like, I really... To, to even read this book and then read like 20, to write this book and hear like 20 year olds talk about it and be like, talk about like little cultural references I have is like, oh, that's the distant past. They had to do this, you know, it's, it's, it's heartening. It's like, it's heartening and it's like, wow. Um, I guess this is how, this is how the elders that I was missing felt about us. I mean, th there's a part where I think Reese talks specifically about like what did we see in movies there was Tu Wang Fu mm. Patrick Swayze 
there was you you have to include silence of the lambs which just like <laughs> that's that's not what anyone needs here yeah there was the crying game i remember that where yep there's when you find out someone's trans you puke and, and it's uh, the big denouement yeah there's a uh, little i remember little britain was was one there's but you know there wasn't a lot of um there wasn't a and I remember being like really so hungry for it. I remember like, you know, things like being a really little kid and being like, well, Bugs Bunny wears a dress. So therefore, <laughs> <laughs> therefore it's like some of this weird impulse that I have is must, I must not be the only one, me and Bugs Bunny. Um, but yeah, and, and now of course, like you can, you can, uh, see pose or transparent or any number of things and, and hopefully I mean there I I was lucky enough to find sort of a transliterary scene and I'm hoping that like this book you know helps other trans writers in that scene you know get a little bit more exposure because mine's certainly not the only story and like there's some really talented writers. Yeah and talk to me a little bit about audience because I read um, Lila Shapiro's great um, profile of you in Vulture um, and you talk about how this book was rejected by many different publishing houses because it was too radical not for the general public. Yeah. It, it wasn't this book that that was rejected oh, okay. but it was a previous book that I'd written and it, that was around 2011. It was a previous thing, and um, and it it was at at the time, you know, this sort of thing. I think in 2011, like even things are much more anodyne than this. They couldn't find a home in the big publishing world. But as a result of getting rejected, I actually think I found like the scene that ended up defining me as a as a writer, and that I'm super happy I got rejected because I met these people who also had gotten rejected and they were great writers and I think we had like a literary moment in the same way that like mm -hmm. you know Harlem Renaissance or, or Paris in the 20s like there was this moment in in Brooklyn I moved to Brooklyn for it I was living in Seattle but I moved here because I met these writers and it you know I've I felt like they were doing something or they they were able to say something that I'd never seen before and largely what they had done was they'd taken, you know, Toni Morrison said that she writes explicitly for black women. Mm -hmm. Everybody else can keep up. The, the trans writers in the scene in Brooklyn were writing for other trans women. And they were like, you know, before you had to write, uh, you know, 40% explanation, which only gave you 60% story. So you're constantly slowing down to be like, well, here's what it means to be trans. Here's a, you know, et cetera. But when you write for trans, other trans people, they already know, which means that you never have to slow down. And on top of which, it sets the bar so much higher. Like to, to impress another trans woman with an insight about being trans is really hard to do because they already, they've done it. So you have to like really come with your best material. And, um, and just, being around all these people where the bar was higher meant that I started writing a lot better, you know, and the audience ended up shaping, you know, what I needed to do in the kind of caliber of my own writing. Um, 
And then, so that was, I was really affiliated with that. I, that's why my no, novellas were free on my website is because yeah. I was just, like, I just want to be in conversation that's great. With, these, with these other trans women. So I self-published these novellas. They were circulating. They kind of got a reputation um, in that scene. And then as I was writing this book, you know, I was thinking about the question of role models and I was thinking about the question of affinity versus identity and the idea that like, so I, I really, I was, I wanted to keep trans women as my main audience, but I, but I began to think that actually, if I started describing them as people and the challenges that they felt as people, then those, that same description could apply to, to other people. And, you know, I dedicated the book to divorced cis women because I found that mm -hmm. the challenges of being a trans woman were very similar to the challenges of being a divorced cis woman. And there was a kind of affinity so the, that instead of, you know, changing audience, I, I discovered that my audience was actually bigger than I had originally thought when I took away, like, you know, kind of labels of identity. And that in the end, when I was able to do that, then, you know, some of the big publishers could return to my work and see it once the question of, once the sort of boundaries of identity were removed and it was these questions of womanhood, even though it was still deeply trans, they could be like, oh, womanhood, we know what to do with this. Like we know how to sell it. And, um, and you know, that it, they actually did, did, they did a terrific job, I think, you know, compared to the, the, what I felt like had happened in 2011. And maybe we're beyond the point where there, there's a scene when Reese first meets Katrina um, who she tends to think of rightfully so as, as maybe being basic and you know uh, outside of her world and that the question is do you need to know what do you need to know to recognize my basic humanity uh -huh. and I, I, I hope we're at a point where the people who will buy this book are already fully there. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think that's why I was able to write it is that that I I didn't write it in such a paranoid way as like, what what do you like? I just assumed an audience that like sees me as a woman, understands that my problems are generally problems of womanhood, and we'll take it from there. If you're still like trying to understand like what a trans woman is and like you know. And, and like the question of like being versus doing, like I'm interested in like, okay, you already understand the trans woman, uh, you understand the situation for trans women, you see affinities and now what do we do? That's the audience that I, that I was looking for. And it's, you know, an audience that I think is really out there. Um, so, I mean, and, and I, the book launches tomorrow, so I hope I'm yeah. <laughs> I, I have a feeling you're right. Um, Tori, this has been really wonderful. Um, before we go, do you have a couple of books to recommend? Yeah, I have, um, I have two that I, I uh, would love to mention. The first is um, Time is the Thing That a Body Moves Through by T. Fleischman. It was on Coffeehouse Press and um, there was this book in sort of trans culture that was Nevada that, that was 
sort of opened up that scene that I was talking about. And I really think that, that Clutch's book is going to do that for um, sort of non-binary thought. Uh, it came out last year and it was, it was on a smaller press and it, was, it certainly was received very well, but it's such an incredibly gorgeous, smart book. Um, and That's why we're here to, to uh, keep hearing about them. <laughs> Yeah, so it, you know, if you want a book that's like, it's sort of like, I describe it as like Sebald, but like W.G. Sebald, but like slutty and non-binary. Like it's like, just picture us, you know, slutty W.G. Sebald, who loves, and a dour German, but slutty. Um, so, uh, Clash is in Germany, like, but uh, <laughs> the, so that book is, is terrific. Uh, and then the other one is a is since I have a chance to talk about books that don't get a lot of attention, is Lot by Shola von Reinhold, and it's was published in um, it was published in Britain uh, by I think Jacaranda Press. It's a small press. Mm -hmm. Shola, I don't know if I think goes by they them pronouns also, but. There's been all these books that are sort of about like uncovering the archive and refining the archive. And you think about like Dreamhouse by Carmen Marie mm -hmm. And what this book does is it's sort of um, like you had the, the sort of 20s where you had all these queer figures or like, you know, in the in like hang out around like Evelyn Waugh and stuff like that. These sort of dandies, like the, the, the queer dandy figure. Mm -hmm. And the, the question is, was for, for in this book was where's the figure of the black queer in, in that scene? And mm. what the, the book is written in the same like sort of witty, catty, like style and prose of like Wah, only it's this black artist kind of finding the missing characters from the, from the Wah archive. But it has like all of the pleasure of of reading one, one of these like twenties dandies, you know, um, and it's like resurrecting it. So I, you can get it on Amazon, um, which I know we're not supposed to uh, endorse Amazon, but I'm sorry, it's the only way I could find it in this country. If there, I mean, that is one of the beauties of Amazon. It does yeah. have things that are not available elsewhere. And I think the money does go to a small press, so I feel not as bad saying it. But if you can get it uh, some other way, it's got this beautiful purple cover, L-O-T-E. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was a real pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Maris Review. And check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.